How are we doing this morning? Awesome. I don't know if it was a good week uh, for you. It was a good week for me. Uh, as, a, as a Colorado native, originally I love the snow, and we don't get enough of it, so I was just in heaven. Um, but it, it did, on, on no less than three occasions, I did have to bust out uh, my weed-burning torch to try to melt enough traction in my driveway to get up out of the house uh, because our, our driveway kind of tilts towards our house. And so, you know, I don't have any sort of four-wheel drive vehicle. Uh, and so that was a chore. Uh, at one point, I, you know, the plows had come through, and at the end of my driveway was a bit of a pile, and I was like, I got this, you know. And so I'd, we'd, we'd gotten out there and melted enough little traction, and I was like, all right, I got this. So started busting, and I sure enough, like, high-centered my car uh, halfway in the middle of the road and halfway in the driveway and was just like, well, crap, you know. <laughs> and so was stuck there, and so we had to work a while that, and then, you know, Yesterday, same thing. We're out there just, you know, my driveway was just icy and could not get out of it. Finally, a, a nice guy in a tractor came by and, and plowed our driveway, which was awesome. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's been a fun week. Uh, hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us as we dive into the Word today. Let's pray. Father, we need you um, to help us in these next few minutes. I pray that you would... Uh, draw all our attention on your word, and then reveal truth to us. And Father, I, I pray that, that I would leave different. Pray that everyone who's hearing this or watching online, pray, pray that we would all be affected by the truth in your word. And so um, we need, we need for, for things to change and to happen, we need your power. I, I can't do that in my own strength. And so just pray that you would anoint me and help me right now and, and help us all to listen with, with ears and hearts that are attentive to how you might speak to us and lift Jesus high. Pray all these things in his name. Amen. So um, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here. Really glad to be with you this morning. Uh, and I want to start before we jump into the scriptures. Can I get the lights up a little bit so I can see faces? Uh, before we jump into uh, scriptures, that's perfect. Uh, I want to start with a few quotes. So the first quote is here by Anthony Hokma, and it's going to go up there. And he, here's what Anthony says, and he says this. He says, the most important thing about a person is that he or she is inescapably related to God. And the word inescapably in that sentence really grabs me. Um, you and I, in, in some strange way, are inescapably related to God. You know, we see this when we go into other cultures. Every single culture has conceptions of, of who God is, and they may be right or wrong, but all of us seem to be wanting to know who is God, what is He like, how can we know Him, does, does He ask for us to live in some certain way, like, like what's going on here? And, and Hokma says this because we're inescapably related to Him. Now, Paul agrees with this. The Apostle Paul, he writes in Acts 17, he says, and he's talking to philosophers in Athens, and he says this, he says, God, he made from one man or one person every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, 
yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him, and he quotes a philosopher here, a pagan philosopher, he says, for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said. For indeed we are his offspring. And so Paul says God has determined where we're going to live, neighborhood we're going to live in, country we're going to be from, family we're born into, and he, he's, he's arranged it in such a way, and this is mysterious, I don't know how God does this, but he does it, so that we might perhaps feel our way towards God, grasp our way towards God. He says he's actually not far from any of us. We're inescapably related to God. Here's another quote. Herman Bavink says, the entire world is a revelation of God, a mirror of his virtues and perfections. Every creature in its own way and according to its own measure and embodiment of a divine thought. Now think about that for a second. He's saying the, the, a, a dog is, is a dog because God thought of a dog and said, we're going to have dogs. He, a dog is an embodiment of a divine thought. An, an elephant exists because God thought of elephants and said, we need some of those. And so he created the world in such a way that we would have elephants. So an elephant is, is the embodiment of a divine thought. We have pizza because God thought of wheat and he thought of tomatoes and he knew that mankind and its ingenuity would figure out how to bake wheat into bread and, and turn tomatoes into sauce and that, that we would put it all together and add these toppings so that we would have pizza. So in some strange way, pizza is the embodiment of a divine thought. But then he says, but among all creatures... Only man, and by man he means mankind. Only mankind is the image of God. The highest and richest revelation of God. And therefore, head and crown of the entire creation. So what I want to talk to you about today is what does it mean that people are created in the image of God? of God. I, I, I want us to see where the Bible teaches this, and then I want us to ask, what are the implications of this? Now, the, the fancy theological term, if you're into those sorts of things, and I kind of am, uh, I'll admit it, geek here, uh, is, is imago Dei. That's the Latin phrase that means image of God. So, so I, wh- what are, what does it mean, what does the imago Dei mean, and, and what are the implications of the imago Day. Now, here's how Wayne Grudem, who's always a good theologian to kind of trust and look to, he, he defines it this way. He just says, the fact that man or people are created in the image of God means that, here's what he says it means. It means that man is like God and represents God. So you have been created in the image of God, and what that means is, is that you in some way are like God and that you in some way represent or reflect God. It's an amazing thought. So let's dive into that. I I want us to cruise through a few scriptures together. The the first is Genesis 1. And in the very beginning of the creation account, Genesis 1, we're going to look at verses 26 and 27. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Then God said, 
notice it's plural here, let us, because this is the Trinitarian God, let us make man or mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, and then check this out. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's point out a couple of things in this passage. One, uh, mankind alone is said to be created in the image of God. So if, you, if we had time to dig into all of Genesis 1, we would see, you know, like in the previous days of creation, like God's creating, you know, plants and animals, and he's separating sky from sea. And, and all the animals, here's how Hokma says it. He says, while God created each animal according to its kind, only man was created in God's image and after God's likeness. So, so Moses, the writer of Genesis, wants to draw our attention to this fact. And if you read through the whole creation account, this is created, this is created, this is created, it's good, it's all great. Like, and, then, and then on day six, like God's like, we're going to spread a little special sauce now. And he's like, and so he turns to the, the, the Trinitarian Godhead, you know, Father, Son, Spirit. They turn to each other, let us, and, he's, and, and they have counsel together. And they say, now, let us create man in our image after our likeness. And the text is very specifically, intentionally trying to show that there's a difference. Now, this flies in the face of popular modern Western thought, does it not? Because popular, and I'm not anti-science, I just want to say that on the front end, but popular, the, the worldview that often comes through in popular modern Western thought is that you and I are nothing more than the, the, the furthest evolution of an animal that we're aware of. You're just an animal. But, but the Bible says quite the opposite. The Bible says that you are a person created in the image of God and there is something unique and amazing about people. And that's the first thing I want to point out. The second thing I want to point out is that men and women are both equally created in God's image. It's, it's not as if the, the man is only created in God's image or the woman's only created. No, they're both. And, and, and this word, and here's, I, I, I dug into this a lot. I want to make sure I wasn't misunderstanding it, but the word man here in verse 27, so God created man, that's the word Adam. So Adam is actually named after, his name means man. You know, it's just kind of cool. So Adam, and, and this word can refer to the breadth of mankind. And so that's how it's, it's used in verse 27. So God created mankind in his image. And then he wants to, to specify and, and to draw our attention to the fact. He says, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so Moses wants us to know that, that men and women are both equally created in God's image. Equally valued, endued with equal dignity, not one more valuable than the other, not one more representative of God than the other, both uniquely, individually, equally created in the image of God. Okay? Um, the, the two words that describe this image 
and we could get real geeky with Hebrew here, but I won't. <laughs> but it's, it's in our image and after our likeness. And they're basically kind of synonymous terms that bring out slightly different ideas. But the idea, it, the, in our image, that word is the idea of, of a statue. So God's, God's making a form. He's, he's cutting a form of himself in a way. And that's us. He, he puts his form on Now, God doesn't have a body. He's a spirit. So I don't completely, and we could go into a long list of like, this is how we're like God. We're not going to do that today. But, but you, and uniquely, God has made us look like him in some way. And then the second one, after our likeness, is, is to be like. And so if you look up the word, it's, it carries with it the idea that people are an image which is like God. So, so that's what we're getting at. And then, and we could pull out a bunch more. We're not going to. But the other thing I want to show you is that that a plural God. So we believe in one God, three persons: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A plural God within community creates people who are created to be in community. And so th- this has like become sharp, come sharply into focus for some of us this past year. We've had to, to quarantine and be separated a lot more from each other than maybe we wanted to. But, but God has uniquely created all of us that we, we need fellowship. We need community. We need to be around each other. That's who he's made us to be. That's his image upon us. Okay, so that's Genesis 1. Uh, and that's, we just talked about the creation. Now, when it comes to the fall, a, a question that we might want to ask is, so that, that was cre- that's how we were, but like then sin entered into the picture, and it, it wrecked stuff. So, so what about now? Is the image of God still on us now that we're sinful? And the Bible's answer is yes, and it says this in, in many places, uh, but Genesis 9-6 is, is kind of a cool verse. So this is a few chapters, it's, it's right after this creation account where you read about the image of God. And, and in Genesis 9-6, God says this. He says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For made, uh, God made man in his own image. So he seems to probably point to some sort of um, governmental punishment here for murder. But he says, the reason that murder is wrong is because you're murdering someone that's been created in God's image. So again, the theologians here, the, the Anthony Hochma, the reason no human being may shed man's blood, the passage says, is that man has unique value, a value that is not attributed to any other of God's creatures, namely that he's an image bearer of God. Therefore, when one kills a human being, not only does he take that person's life, but he hurts God himself, the God who was reflected in that individual. To touch the image of God is to touch God himself. To kill the image of God is to do violence to God himself. So the image still remains, but it has, it has been marred. We are not who God originally created us to be, and we're not all that we ought to be. Wayne Grudem says, since man has sinned, he is certainly not as fully like God as he was before. His moral purity has been lost, and his sinful character certainly does not reflect God's holiness. 
His intellect is corrupted by falsehood and misunderstanding. His speech no longer continually glorifies God. His relationships are often governed by selfishness rather than love and so forth. Though man is still in the image of God in every aspect of life, some parts of that image have been distorted or lost. And, and there's other verses in Scripture that we could point to that, that show that we are still in the image of God, though that image of God has in some way been damaged or marred by sin. But Jesus is, is the answer to fix this in us. So that's creation, fall, redemption. Just listen to these few verses here. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And, and this, there's a lot to go into this verse. We can't go into it. But Paul says, and, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image of God from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So as, as we trust in Jesus and are saved then God, that, that's the initial start of this transformation and then, and then from one degree of glory to another, God is beginning to, re, beginning to repair the image of God in us so that we more fully reflect uh, the God that we were created to reflect. Right? So Jesus is the perfect man. He's the most true human that ever lived. And we're being made into his likeness. Sin has damaged that, but God, Jesus came to, to heal that and to repair it so that we're all that God wants us to be and we're fully human. Because when we look to Jesus, we see the most fully human who ever lived and God wants us to become that. And we see that um, will finally take place in the restoration uh, when Jesus comes again. And listen to what Romans 8.29 says about this. It says, Those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn, the, the first of the perfect men, and then there's going to be a lot more perfect people. So, so God, those, all those that are in Christ or who will be in Christ have been predestined by God to one day be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so God is very much one of the, the big purposes of your life is that God is restoring His image in you so that you won't live in this body of sin and death one day. You're, you're not just going to be a spirit either. You're going to get a, a new body, a, 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 a body and soul. It's going to be redeemed, and you're going to be able to live the way that God intends you to live. Okay, so that's a, just a little bit of the theology of image of God. And now I want us to talk about why does this matter? How does this affect our, our lives? And, and the first way that this, this truth drastically affects our lives is that you are extremely valuable. God has created you in His image, in His likeness. And, and though we've got sin, 
you are extremely valuable and deeply loved. I uh, recently started seeing a, a counselor from time to time, kind of work through some things. And on the first, and I say that so that you know, I want to normalize that. Like, if you need counseling, go to counseling. It's awesome. Um, so, uh, but one of the things he said to me uh, on the very first time we met, I was kind of telling him my story. And he said near the end of the hour together, he said, Ben, you're, you're far too hard on yourself. And I was kind of like, where'd you hear that? And he was like, well, you said this, and you said this, and you said this. And I didn't realize it, but, but he heard in, in the, my story that I was recounting that, that I, at times, was just, just beating myself up. And he, said, he, he brought up a couple of things. He's like, of, of course in this situation you did this. What else were you going to do? And he brought up another thing. He said, of course in this situation this is what happened. What else was going to happen? Quit, quit. Don't, don't beat yourself up. And, and maybe some of you this morning, in, in a room this size and this large, like, I, I don't know what's going on with everybody, but th- there may be some of you in, in abusive relationships. There, there may be some of you who um, struggle with self-harm. There may be some of you that just have, just have a horrible self-image, and if you're honest, you're like, you look at yourself in your mirror, like, I hate the way I look. I don't like myself. I don't like my family. I don't know, like, I hate everything about myself. And some days, I just, I want it all to end. And, and you feel the weight of that self-condemnation. And then the enemy loves to, like, enter into that situation and just, like, add some on top and go, yeah, that's right. You do suck. You are awful. And God wants to say, no! You are created in my image. And I deeply love you. And you are intrinsically valuable and full of dignity and worth. That's who you are. And so we, we see Jesus in Luke 12. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. God says, I love the birds, but I love you a lot more than the birds. The birds are cool, but you're, you're so much more valuable than they are. It says at one point in the bottle that he, he, he captures all our tears. Like God knows every time something's going on with us. He's aware of it. Like there's not an emotion you feel that God's like unaware of and, and unfeeling towards you. We, we see him in the Gospels weeping over Jerusalem because they're refusing him. But he loves the city. He wants them to be redeemed. In Zephaniah 3.17 it says, the, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It's saying the God of the universe sings over us. He loves you. You are full of dignity, dignity and worth. We should not self-condemn and self-deprecate because we are loved by the Creator. The second implication I want you to see is this. 
is that we should be the sort of people because we've been loved that way, that we are seeking to, to show honor and dignity to everyone in whom we come in contact with. And, and so we want to be pro-life from womb to tomb in every aspect. We're seeking the flourishing of people and society. We, we, racism should be the last place where the church should be the last place where racism is found because we know that the man in Africa and, and the woman in Sumatra and, and the coffee, I'm naming all coffee regions because I'm so into coffee, but the coffee farmer in Mexico, they all are, are people who have been created in the image of God. And so God loves the red, yellow, black, and white. We're all creatures in his sight. Like there is no superiority of the races. God loves everybody. And all races the same. And we, we don't want to be a racist people or, or a place where racism runs rampant. I don't care if that's how you're raised. I don't care if it's easy to default into that. Reject that in the power of the Holy Spirit and, and strive to be a person who loves all people equally and sees all people in all cultures as having dignity and worth. Sexism should not exist in our midst. We should not be the sort of people that, that ease so easily into chauvinism or who treat women as if they're less than because we know that men and women have both been created equally worthy in the image of God. And so we want women to flourish and men to flourish in our church equally. And we want to hold up their dignity and worth. We don't want anyone feeling like a second-class citizen. We are against pornography. And we fight against it because it's so prevalent in our culture. But, but we fight against it because pornography demeans the people that we see on the screen or in the picture. It demeans them. It, it, it puts them in such a place where they're just an object to suit our enjoyment and that demeans and dehumanizes them and so we it, it's everywhere so we as as God's people are actively fighting against that we don't want to give in to that we want to repent of that when it comes into our life because we want to uphold the dignity and the worth and the more we view people in that way just the easier it is for abuse to happen and for bad things to happen and for us to really think that oh she is just a sex object or whatever We want to see an end to the drug epidemic in our community and the world because drugs are killing people, taking away their life, helping them not to live full lives. And we want this to be a place where if you're struggling with alcoholism or drugs or whatever, you can be open and honest about your struggle and know that you're not going to be condemned. We want your flourishing because you are a valuable person created in the image of God. We love those who are struggling with same-sex attraction. We love those who are struggling with gender dysphoria. We don't advocate that they can just do whatever they want to do and it's okay because we believe that God wants a flourishing and where he has set a guideline or a rule he knows best. And so we believe if we 
if we do what's contrary to what he has said, it's not going to be for our good. But at the same time, no, one, no one's going to be hated into the kingdom of God. We have, we can't, we can't just treat people who, we, if we don't understand what they're going through, it's like icky or gross or like we, they have to be fully embraced as, as people that God loves, as people with dignity. We, we don't want those around us in our community to struggle to just eat. That's why we have things like the food pantry because these are people of dignity and worth and we want, we want them to have food in their stomach. And so we're seeking their flourishing. We, we hate abortion because we believe it destroys a human life created in God's image. And at the same time, we love those who have had abortions and maybe made a decision that they now deeply regret. And we want them to feel no additional shame from God's people. We want them to feel loved and forgiven. But basically, the people we come into contact with that aren't yet believers, rather than treating them as like other than, we want to treat them as as sons and daughters of God who are estranged from the family and we're looking forward to that day when they're no longer estranged from the family. So we begin loving them like daughters and sons even before they are, have yet been adopted into the family. We, we want to be about adoption and orphan care because we want all kids everywhere to, to grow up in families and, and feel love from parents and then know that that in some way reflects the love that God has for them. So we're, we're about those things. We want to take care of widows and orphans and those in distress. As the Bible says, that's true religion. We stand against injustice. We stand against abuse of any sort. This one's maybe the easiest one to fall into. We, we stand against gossip and mean-spirited talk. And this, this, it's so easy for me just to, to slip into like, I got all this all figured out. I'm the smartest guy in the room. You, that guy's an idiot. And just the fast food worker pissed me off. And so I'm going to treat them as subhuman. Or, or this guy I've interacted with, oh, it drives me nuts. And, and just, and just to, to gossip or to talk about them or, or literally to start treating people as, as, as if they're less than. When they're not, they're in fact somebody created in the image of God. We, we believe that as this city flourishes, we will flourish and flourish and so we because we're members of the city and so we seek the flourishing of the city and the communities where God has planted us we want them to thrive we want people God is not far from any of us we want them to perhaps grasp or find their way towards God because of us because we're salt and light people and lastly we are gospel sharing people because the hope for the whole world is Jesus and that way the image of God becomes restored in each one of us is that we repent of our sin and place faith in Jesus. And he begins to restore us to whom we were meant to be. And so I just want to close with this invitation. 
the, the first step of restoration for any of us is faith in Jesus. And so if there's never, you're not born in relationship with Christ, he's not far from you, but you're not born in relationship with him. And so the first step of restoration for any, anyone is that they would repent of their sin and place faith in Jesus. And so if there's never been that time in your life where you know you passed from death to life, where you know Jesus at that moment became Lord and Savior, where you know you cast all your cares upon him because you know he cares for you and you said, Jesus, will you save me? Will you redeem me? Will you come into my life? I've made a mess of my life. Uh, or maybe things are kind of going good, but I know I need you, whatever situation you're in. And, and so I repent of the way I've been living. I don't want to do it that way. I don't want to think about my life anymore that way. I'm casting all my cares upon you. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that this morning. Because that's the first step. And I want to encourage you to invite others to do that as you interact with them in daily life. Don't just, don't just be a good citizen. Be a good citizen who shares the gospel. We'll end with this. Romans 10 just talks about this. And it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, I love this, everyone who believes in him and Jesus will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between uh, Jew or Greek or white or black or Hispanic or, or Indian. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for a few different groups of people that may be in the room today. Lord, um, if there's anybody here who's, who's struggling maybe in a, an abusive situation or maybe with self-harm or maybe they just have a horrible self-image, I, I just want to pray in a, in a miraculous way that I can't make happen but that you can. I want to pray right now, Father, that you would remind them of how deeply valuable they are, how much you love them. And Lord, I want to pray if they're in a bad situation that you would help them to get out. Or, or help them to tell somebody who can help them get out of that situation. Lord, would you restore self-image and dignity and worth of, to people today who need it? Lord, I want to pray for anybody in the room who's maybe struggling with, with treating uh, certain types of people or certain groups of people as if they're less than. I want, to, I want to pray, Lord, that you would show them and remind them, Father, that we are all marred by sin and yet still made in your image and deeply loved by you and, and no one's got a leg up on anybody else. And so we should treat people with dignity and honor. And Lord, lastly, I want to pray for anybody in the room who has not yet come into faith in Jesus. And I want to pray, Father, that you would move on their heart and reach in and awaken them to your reality and help them to for the first time believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior for them. Lord, would you move powerfully. Help us to worship in spirit and truth. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.